this interview is a whole lot of fun. Uh, Megan is doing some really cool things, uh, next level stuff as far as growing her own forage for her animals, especially with wild weeds and harvesting barks, um, just really fun stuff. She just finished writing a book. Um, unfortunately, the internet quality is not superb, um, but just great content. And this is exactly the type of homesteading and farming that I'm passionate about. So the more people like this that I can find to share with you, to give you a model of ways to get into homesteading, I think that I will be doing my job as a podcaster. So this is the last episode of Dojo Radio. Um, Not the last episode for me. I will be rebranding the podcast as Homestead Abundance um, so that I can more clearly direct you in toward courses and a lot of fun information that I've been uncovering to help you get on the path to changing your life from where you are to where you want to be. And I know for a lot of you that's in homesteading, still a lot of the content and information that I'll be creating um, will help people no matter what in their life because it's all about you and finding your story Um, and building a business that you're proud of that can help fund the lifestyle that you want to live. So have fun. Listen to Megan as she breaks down. Bear with me with the technical uh, uh, glitchiness. Um, But a lot of fun stuff coming in the future for me and my family as we start a new chapter in our life. And I'll keep you posted on all the details. Dojo Radio is supported by Jarjoy Goods, Jar Totes, and Wooden Accessories. Jarjoy Goods was created simply for the daily jar user to be able to take their healthy foods, snacks, smoothies, and drinks on the go in a custom jar tote, a tote made just for jars. So you could carry your healthy creations with you throughout your day and keep them healthy because the products are made of organic waxed cotton, hemp, or solid wood. So go to Jarjoy Goods dot com to see the goods dojo radio health homesteading and human potential this podcast is for leaders and initiates in pursuit of a sovereign creative and abundant lifestyle this story is medicine to uncover allergies and addictions that block our life's potentials dojo radio is your training ground for the truth discussions and interviews curated to lead you to creating the life you're born to live With her husband, Kenneth, and son, Declan, they purchased 16 acres of raw land in South Carolina, turning it into a functioning off-grid homestead one day at a time. Starting their journey via YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook so that you can learn from their mistakes and successes, Megan and her family are passionate about teaching others what is possible to live a more simple, homegrown life in a modern world. She and her family have offered to guide you, teach, and be your friend. Why? Because, quote, we understand what it is like when no one understands the life you want to live. We want you to know we understand. Megan Height. Welcome to the show, Megan. Hey, thanks for having me today. Absolutely. I've been uh, following you on Instagram for a bit, and I just really appreciate your fun uh, content you're creating, helping teach people about homesteading. And uh, yeah, we want to get into your- Yeah, yeah, no, you're so much fun. Um, 
tell us a little bit about your backstory. Tell us how you, where, what got you into this? A um, little bit of your story. I know you mentioned getting in an RV and traveling around the country. Yes. Yeah, so we come at this from a completely different point than most other people. I am actually originally a PD. My husband is a mechanic for big machines, like for carpet industries. And we just were working nine to five. Our son, who we had spent six years for fertility treatments, was in daycare. His teachers seen him more than we did. And one day I just decided I'd had enough. This was not what made us happy in life. And we were just working for the weekends and then too exhausted on the weekends to even enjoy what we were doing. It was just we just weren't happy with the way things were going. So we got right. the bright idea to sell everything and just quit. Just quit the life that our families had expected we should lead. I mean, they asked us if we were having like mental breakdowns because we'd worked hard for our careers and poured it. Mm. If we weren't living our life, then there was no reason in working so hard. So we sold everything. Mm. We sold our 2,500 square foot house. We sold our vehicles. We bought a travel trailer and a new truck. And just traveled nice. for the first year. Super. We just traveled to. Def- I mean, we had to figure out what did we actually want outside of what right. the pandemic. Came. Mm. And right. there were food shortages. You know, everything. Well, you can imagine living in a travel trailer that has no space. You can't store food. You can't preserve food. So it just happened. It got. It got a little scary. And that's when we decided to stop traveling. We figured out homestead. We had found our home in South Carolina, and this is what made us happy. So we got to this point in South Carolina, and we never left. We just immediately started looking for raw land to start a homestead. And where did you you start? uh, Originally, we're from Georgia. Georgia. Back in the southeast. We traveled all across the United States and still ended up back down here in the Southeast. Right. I guess, you know, it's home. So. Yeah, totally. Um, But, you know, with 2020 and everything that was going on, we seen in 2021, you know, there was that crazy freeze and Texas froze like power companies. Nobody. People were freezing to death. There were different floods and everything. And that's when we decided we wanted to be an off-grid homestead, not just a homestead. I have to rely on a power company to keep my son warm in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. That made us focus on off-grid versus just a normal homestead. We had to take it a little one step farther there. Totally. Okay, so uh, break that down for us. Are you using solar what kind of power systems are you using and do you have it all set up or are you still working on it we have a solar system in place generator in case we need it and then we have rainwater catchment is our rain or is our water source that we're still working on increasing we want to get up to like a 2500 gallon rainwater catchment system right now we have about a 250 gallon rainwater catchment system and that over the next year and then we use composting toilets and a gray water recycling system where we actually compost our gray water and use it on plants and stuff instead of you know just sending it to like a sewer company or something 
Sorry about that. I'm getting so many calls today for some reason. Go ahead. Let's just keep going. <laughs> That's okay. Oh, unbelievable. Um, yeah, so we are, we're completely off-grid. We have rely on anything our solar system is on the smaller side it's only 550 watts for most systems are 12,000 watts so we are like really scaled back but we don't use like a lot of hydraulic appliances we don't have a microwave i don't have an electric coffee pot washer and dryer i do all of that by hand you know that's allows us to live more of an off-grid life as we kind of scaled it mm. back and took it to more simple ways of doing things. Got it. Um, talk to me about, um, you know, get, I guess a little more detail, like, like as far as you're just choosing to make choices where you're not having to use as much power, just being more economical. And how is that lifestyle working for you? Yeah. So it takes takes a lot of small choices to be living off grid, and things people don't think about, like an electric coffee pot, pulls a ton mm -hmm. of power. Not something we could run on our solar system. So instead, we use like a French press, and then we have to actually go through the process of boiling the water and letting it steep with the coffee grounds, and use it that way instead, mm -hmm. instead of just going doing electric. We don't have our microwaves. Everything has to be slow heated. So I think the biggest the biggest side that people really don't get, especially with us being in a hot temperature, we don't have any unit. We have them on the travel but we don't use them because that would be a whole lot of power. <laughs> Sorry, you broke up a little something bit. We can run. You don't have what? Uh, you broke up a little. We don't have an air conditioning unit, so we oh, don't use it. AC. Yeah. Well, that's one thing uh, I was wondering use... about. Like, oh yeah, we yeah, we do a lot stress. of leaving windows open and stuff. How about other strategies for like the animals? Are you having to do anything to? Uh, you have rabbits and goats and chickens. Is that correct? Yes. Rabbits, goats, chickens. We have two barn cats and then a pet dog as well. Uh, rabbits are our main animal source here on our homestead. Currently, we only have, but during the height of breeding season, it's nothing for us to have 30 rabbits to care for of our work goes into is our rabbits because that is a main meat source for my family and for them they are completely fed on or they completely are taken care of by rainwater our rabbit colony actually has its own like rainwater catchment system attached to it where we get a lot of our rainwater from so to fill up the waters right there Oh, super cool. Okay. Now, do you make the decision to do less animals during the, the heat, uh, the height of the heat? Or is that just um, like what times of the years are you doing more animals? Yeah. So, months in the summer off from May, June, August, and we'll breed. Straight through from August all the way to 
to usually the end of April they're done breeding because it's just too hot and rabbits have very poor lactation and very poor birth rates in the summer so we just give that to them and let them recuperate and build up back their weight and get healthy again before the next breeding season and then rabbits breed continuously to the point that if you stop breeding them they become aggressive so we breed straight through mm. for the other nine months of the year just to keep them happy. Okay, got but, it. Yeah. It's it's fun thing with rabbits. Our chickens and our goats, they don't change depending on the season of the year. It's really just our rabbits that we have to really pay attention to. Well, another way I noticed that you're off-grid is that you're feeding them from your land that you're growing your own forages. Yes. Our rabbits and our goats are 100% fed from our property. The only ones we're still buying feed in for is our chickens. And we are really hoping that next year uh, we're just having to build up our food resources because it was nothing but raw land and mainly forest. So I'm having to go through and plant a lot of the wild weeds that are not here and a lot of the different produce that I'll need to feed our animals. So it's going one by one. The goats are helping us clear the raw land. So that's what they're eating. And then the rabbits, I grow and forage everything that they consume which has been very, very beneficial for us. I've noticed they looked healthier and it saves money too. What um, kind of feed, what are you feeding your, what are you planning to feed your chickens and what are you feeding your uh, rabbits? So our rabbits get about 75% of their diet is wild weeds that grow. Most people don't want them or your weed in your garden and people compost them. But instead, we just feed them to our rabbits. On top of that, they get different tree branches, which are really good for their digestive system because they're high in fiber. And then I will also give them a lot of the prunings from the garden, things like okra leaves and seeds different squashes when carved pumpkins or you know cooked pumpkins the pumpkin seeds are good for like deworming your rabbits so they get a lot of the mm. garden trimmings that you don't otherwise use they make great resources for that the chickens get a lot of the the garden produce especially things that get away from me like the okra when it gets too big or the cucumbers when they get too big and then a lot of bugs as well things like leave out meat to attract maggots on purpose and feed those to your chickens i had a little bit of feed that was that i left out and like get wet and attracted bugs to it and then fed those bugs to the chickens to kind of make sure they get their resources that they need as well as the different weeds and stuff that i get for them i forage for all of our animals every day everybody gets fresh weeds and garden produce every single day how much um time commitment is that i'm just curious like as far as yeah, it takes me about an hour a day to go around and pick weeds and harvest branches and leaves and stuff for all of our animals so it's a little bit of a event i usually do it in the evening that's when rabbits eat the most is overnight that's what their natural pattern is and so all of our other animals have really adjusted to that and they kind of forage through the day and I feed them all of the stuff at night. And that's been our routine. So it works well for us. But it kind of gets me out in the evenings. I walk through the garden, check produce, you know, walk the 
make sure everything's tidied up. And as I do that, I just go around and pick their weeds and their grasses, different tree limbs and stuff as I go. So I kind of make it double duty so that it's not so much a chore. Yeah. And, and talk to me about that lifestyle. Like um, it sounds like a really enjoyable and not that much more time. Like for me speaking as a farm manager, the time that I put into researching feed and, you know, storing it and then delivering it, you know, I'm doing a lot more animals, but Mm -hmm. that lifestyle sounds a lot more appealing to me where I'm out, I'm in nature, I'm, you know, identifying plants, I'm, uh, you know, taking a nice walk, I'm with the kids probably, you know, you're probably with your kids. Oh yeah, yeah. our son loves to pick weeds and grasses and stuff for all of the animals. It's been really beneficial because he's actually learning to identify I didn't know there, and I'm learning as we go too because we didn't grow up in this life. But a lot of the weeds that around here are edible, and so if time comes where I didn't have food available to feed my family, I know what weeds are out here that I can go and pick to feed my family, and that I can you know kind of boost our diet with. And he's learning that at three years old as we go, and it's just allowing us to take a more simple laid back approach a lot of people think it is a major time commitment but we just kind of use it as a way to boost his education in the real world and to just take some time to relax at the end of a long day and enjoy nature nature can be so calming if you let it be and don't think of it to do this but as i get to do this i could go to the store and buy food but instead and I get that opportunity time with my son as I do it. So we look at it as a positive way to do it. Mm, yeah, got it. Um, yeah, my my kids, they pick up the plant identification so fast. It's I think that they're at a younger age and it's like learning lang- a language. Like they're able to pick it up and identify the, the, the different... Um, you know yeah I mean, it's, it's incredible. he's learned so many skills already at three years old that i'm just now learning at 30 and it's amazing what we've lost in knowledge that people don't even realize that we've lost and in my recent writing a book on feeding rabbits and in that research i have learned skills storing tree fodder it's like forming hay from different trees and you can actually cut your trees back in the winter and store them as hay to feed your animals until your grass is green back up so that you don't have to go out and buy hay or whatever else if you've got those trees you need on your property there's a lot of trees that you can feed but nobody knows that you can feed them that's so cool that does how did you go about learning about the different types of forage for your animals? Learning about forage has been the hardest part of the entire process because there's not as much information out there. A lot of other countries this information. Like Europe, the UK, they have so much information on forage that you can feed to animals. But us in the United States, we don't. It's like commercial food. And so I've really, you know, 
worth reaching out to other countries and looking at their databases to be able to figure out what we have here that is for animal feed. And a lot of it comes to understanding the digestive system of your animals. For rabbits, they have almost an identical system to horses. And those are the only two animals that are like that. So I can, in the United States, everybody here is big on horses. You know, they do horse stuff. So there's more knowledge on what horses can eat than on what rabbits can eat. And so I have to look is safe for horses and what is toxic for horses. And then that helps me narrow down what rabbits can eat and what they can't eat. It's been oh, a whole lot of research. Yeah. <laughs> that's super cool. So you're writing, you're writing a book. Um, I am writing a, a book. About, yeah. It is um, going to be called Feeding Your Rabbits for Free. And it's all about what you can grow and forage and just find around you to feed your rabbits. I've met some incredible people through my journey on Instagram of teaching people to feed meat rabbits and care for meat rabbits. And a lot of them are coming at a need like they need to feed their family and they can't afford to do it and so i'm really focusing on not only what are we feeding our rabbits here locally but what can other people in the united states and surrounding countries feed their rabbits so that they can have a level meat source that is not reliant on grocery stores or supply chains or inflation costs you know something that can really help families and I've started researching and writing this book. It will be out in October. I'm doing a speaking event to actually teach people on feeding the rabbits for free. And I'm going to release the book at that time at that event. And it'll be live online as well, of course. But the whole book is set up just to start walking people through the process of transitioning your rabbits from commercial produced pellets, how to go about it safely to getting them on forage because rabbits are very sensitive and you can't just switch them overnight or it will actually kill the rabbit. So I've walked mm. through down. How can you do it safely? How do you know that you're doing it safely? What can you feed your rabbits? Why? Them. Like, I'm not just going to tell you, go out and feed this, but you can't feed this. Like, I want you to understand why you can feed it. So when you're looking at the weeds and what wild forage is available on your property, you can understand this is why I can feed something because it doesn't have these chemicals in it that rabbits can't have. And so it really can you figure out what you can feed even if it's not listed in the book you can figure out what to feed them as well and so that's really what we're focusing on is not giving you a strict guideline of you have to feed this and this and this but these are the things that are available these are how you know if you can feed your rabbits this and then out for and to know that they're getting enough so that you can care for your rabbits without relying on any outside resources to depend on with food budgets and you know some families it has helped them keep them from starving i've gotten some messages about families who just couldn't afford a bunch of different meat sources or something for the month and they were able to get into meat rabbits and then have an additional meat source and that's that's why i'm doing it, it it's been awesome yeah that's that's super empowering and then do you get into 
uh, like processing, obviously you're doing all your own processing there on, on your homestead. We do. Yes, we do all of our own processing and we've covered that a few times on YouTube Next year in 2023, I hope to release a homesteader's guide to all about meat rabbits. Everything from birth to processing. But as far as this book, it's just going to cover feeding the rabbits because that is, it's so exciting what they can and can't eat that it just would be too much to go all in one book. And it sounds like since you're offering the why that you can, that someone could apply this information, even though they might not be able to grow certain forages that are different than in your area, they can still apply the principles to researching and finding out what works for, for them in their area. Yes. And I'll, I have a whole section written out of the steps I go through to determine if something is safe to feed to my rabbits that way they can follow those steps and look okay i've got this it grows in my area it's not listed in the book but they can follow those steps and determine can i feed this to my rabbits or not so that no matter where you're at you can figure it out and even though we're warm almost year round i have green stuff that grows year round where we're at uh, how to make hay rabbits things you can store to feed them over winter if you're in a snowy climate you know how can you continuously feed them what to do if you're sick how to have backup food available because that's a lot of people's fear is what happens if i'm hurt how is somebody going to know what forages can and can't feed my rabbits when they come to help me care for them or you know are my rabbits going to suffer because i can't get to them and so trying to meet all of those you know if you have a baby what do you do to prepare for that so somebody can safely feed your rabbits when you're not able to and how can you do it year-round sort of thing so we're really trying to look at all of life's obstacles and ways that you can really just do this yeah that's super cool because i know we we take for granted all the different uh you know, bedding and feed and all the things we, we just go to the feed store for um, when it may not be as accessible, whether or not like it's just not accessible or it just becomes so expensive that it's not really worth it uh, to buy. Yes. And we've seen a lot of price increases, especially on feed and then shortages on those feed too. But another thing I've really learned through this process of writing this book is a lot of stuff at that feed store is not actually safe for the animals that they're marketed it to. Like yeah. cedar bedding for bedding is one of the most toxic things you can give to your rabbits. But on the bedding, there's a picture of a rabbit. And so people assume it's safe and it's not it's one of my biggest problems with the marketing towards rabbits is people are focusing more on the pet side and they're not looking safe for a rabbit to have or not. Oh yeah. And even the, the feed that's available, even the highest quality feed is really just byproduct of the market. Yes. And you and would so, be surprised at yeah. how many feeds have corn in them. <laughs> what have oh, you yeah. seen a rabbit eat corn? <laughs> oh my gosh. For sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild so that's so cool you're writing a book can you talk to us about how you're kind of funding your homestead how you're monetizing do you have plans to to sell products from your homestead or what is the overall goal 
Yes. So uh, currently, the only money income for our homestead is actually what I make Instagram. But we, outside of this book, we do a lot of events. I have a few events that I do every year where I can actually go speak and meet people. And then starting next year, our goal is to actually be able to sell our meat rabbits that we're breeding. So we've been slowly building up our line of meat rabbits. So five on forage but they actually thrive on it and that they will produce the muscle mass that rabbits on commercialized feed do and so next up those for sale because at this time nobody specializes in offering breeding rabbits that are bred to thrive on forage and so that's where i'm focusing on that's where we're going with being able to sell from our homestead and then also like rabbit pelts and stuff. I've learned to tan rabbit pelts. So we're going to have those available mm. for crafters and stuff who want to use those. A lot of people use them in like jewelry making. Uh, that's fun. And then we'll also next year start teaching how to butcher rabbits here on the homestead. The easiest ways to do it so that you can do it without any special tools. You don't need any equipments and how to use the entire rabbit. So nothing goes to waste. We either compost, products, we feed them to our chickens, we we tend to hide, stuff like that. We try not to waste anything here on our homestead and we want to teach other people how they can do that as well. Oh, that's so cool to have a closed loop system. I know coming from a, uh, a farming background here, uh, we tend to focus on just, you know, the meat and so much of the other, you know, the hides and things that mm -hmm. you can drive and, and, and repeat value. They're just, they're wasted. And so I think that that's the, the, for me, my goal to, as I get more into homesteading is to be able to use everything and, um, and, and then I think it's just amazing that you're, you're cutting down the cost. And for me, my ultimate goal is to have the highest quality product and that so many times businesses, they tend to um, lose quality based on their profit margin. And it sounds like you don't have to do that because you're just no. focused on getting, yeah. Can you yeah. We're focused on building up our rabbits but we feed them for free. So the only cost that goes into them is my time. You know, mm -hmm. they use the same housing and everything. So that's not like something repeated where other places are having to put in food costs and, you know, different things as well to the rabbits. We don't have that. It's time that's going into them, but I can continuously build them increasing quality without increasing the cost aspect of it. And, been awesome for our family yeah and just circling back to that um sounds like just learning a couple extra skills in 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 raising your animals you're able to raise the the quality of life i mentioned that before it just kind of seems like it's just a way better life can you comment on what it's been like for you just spending more time in nature and the how has your life improved so when i First, before we started this out, I had anxiety. It started, but you know, years ago, but it wasn't nothing bad. But after we had my son, a lot of people don't talk about it. They talk about postpartum depression, but I had postpartum anxiety, and I was very just nervous person. 
was it was very very bad but out here being in nature i have really been able to just feel more natural i guess you could say like i'm more in tune with what's going around i don't have to take any medications for my anxiety anymore i really am able to just calm down and focus but that not only benefits me, it's benefiting my son because he's allowed to be more free and explore things without having an anxious mama who is constantly on top of him being more of the typical helicopter mom. Out here, he can just freely walk around and enjoy things and dig in the dirt and play and have the best life possible. And I'm not overrun with anxiety because I'm allowing my body to be more in tune with the way it was created to be. Being outside, enjoying the sunshine, getting my vitamin D, interacting with animals, you know, getting back down to the earth and back down to nature has helped us physically, but also mentally. It's been so amazing. Well, it sounds like you're getting out there and you're talking to people and you're sharing your information. How is it um, being, are you feeling isolated or you have you been able to create community and build community in any ways? So around us, we don't have any family. Our closest family is five hours away back in Georgia. Isolating. And then we live in a very, where we know anybody, but the community is incredible. So we sent this out. Carolina has going on in South Carolina that we didn't know about. And that's allowed us to make not necessarily local friends because we're out in the middle of nowhere, but friends within the same state that we can get to within an hour or two drive. And we just go and have meetups and we'll have cookouts together and we have to drive the bit but we still got that community and i know that tomorrow if something happened i could call them up and they would come community is they're not local but that you know that doesn't matter in the form of true friendship so i think a lot of it it is isolating but if you could just put yourself out there and be willing to go to events that are near you and discuss your life a lot of that isolation goes away and you can find an near you homesteading become huge like there are people in every state who homestead now you just gotta find them mm, absolutely yeah um to describe your your property a little for us i mean did it come with a house are you building a house <laughs> uh what, what kind of projects we, are you working on we bought in south carolina nothing but woods and a little bit mm. of a marshy swampy area it has a driveway on it and it's been mm -hmm. a process after a process to get everything put in we now have a, a 250 mm -hmm. foot driveway we cleared a large area mm -hmm. where we parked our rv and that's what we currently still live in um, mm -hmm. but we've got it all cleared out around there we've and rabbit colonies rabbit tractors our goats move around in their fencing we didn't have to build a house for them. I have a 2,500 square foot garden, but we still don't have a house. <laughs> so right. that is hopeless for next year. The price of lumber has been really expensive, but because we are off grid, 
we can kind of use some of our own lumber and stuff from our property. The main thing is mm. just finding the time to get to it. Now that, you know, because our goal is to be more self-sustainable. So our journey has been in what can we do to produce our food? What can we do versus we need here on our homestead? And a house is going to be wonderful. But currently, we have a place to live in, and so that kind of fell down low to the priority list a little bit. Well, I, one of my goals in doing this podcast is connecting uh, people in different areas and building community. And I think that uh, a home is something that goes so much faster when you have a lot of people doing it together. And so, um, well, I'll keep you posted on you know resources because I know I would love to come out and help you guys you know, build, build a house. Um, I have some experience with, you know, different types of building and, and it just, you can get so much more, you know, done it's, and the cost is so much lower when you're utilizing your natural resources and you're going to probably create the kind of house you really want to live in. Um, so that's one of my, you know, wishes for the future is that people can um, kind of come together in, you know, as, as we build up, I know there's different groups online, freedom cells, uh, that where communities are being developed. Um, what, what, what are some of the groups or some of the, the communities that you've connected with and how have you benefited from that? Yeah. I think it would be awesome if people could come out, you know, kind of like reverting back to the barn raising days where everybody comes together and works together. Yeah. But they do like meetups of like 75, 100, and so you can really form connections. Farm Where You Live is another community that's recently started in South Carolina. Uh, they had their lat, they had their first event a few months ago like way surpassed the amount that they expected to be there. And they've already got another event in October here in South Carolina. That's where I'll be feeding meat rabbits for free. And like, they even have like Joel didn't come to their last one. He'll be good at this one. And poor Karate is going to come and talk about us. speaking on your homestead and stuff like that. And it's been like really, really awesome have that local community we've been to things like homesteaders of america which is great because you meet people from all over the united states but you don't form the same connections as when you meet local groups and so we've really the internet of course even off grid we have so uh facebook and instagram i've met a lot of groups to be a different about uh, and what I will need to do, like homeschool my son in the future, things like that. Internet's really helped us to meet community around us. Super cool. Do you have any kind of backup plan if the internet changes? Like, is there any other uh, online besides in Instagram and stuff? If if uh, if things, I know a lot of people have had trouble with you know Instagram and not being able to reach their audience as much. Or being taken off of websites. I do see a long form format, really just have a discussion with people. 
But recently, I mean, I had a friend who had a video removed yesterday because her kid was driving a tractor and they held safety standards. Um, <laughs> even though it was like a young teenager, but it's not like, like there were five. But, um, so we're, we're starting to look outside of that realm as well. I haven't found really any backup plans right now besides in YouTube, but I'm really trying to make real life connections as well. So when those I know we're can still getting together. I'm hoping another platform comes up that's a little less than what the rest of these are going to because content out there. People ask me all the time how do I actually go through the process of butchering a rabbit and harvesting a rabbit? And what is the most ethical way to kill a rabbit for butchering? And I can't share any of that. Be very toned back, and they're not getting the real life. Censoring what we can actually put out there, but I don't know where we're going next. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always tell people about um, Cordal, Q-O-R-T-A-L. Uh, okay. I had one of the, the founders um, on here, Mike Winter, and he has a podcast called Alpha Vedic. Um, that's just kind of a new internet, and it's kind of de like a decentralized platform. So uh, the more people that start to use it, the more it'll kind of build up uh, its ability to uh, be used just like the internet that we use today, but it's a kind of a new internet that's emerging and uh, oh. a lot of cool things, a lot of cool things happening out there for sure. I'll have to check that out. Um, I figured somebody's going to have to come up with a, another way to do things because the system we got right now is obviously broken. So hopefully this will be a new way and a better way. And I also think like, like what you're doing, you're writing your book and we're going to see a new emergence of creativity and a new renaissance where, you know, if you just keep, if we all just keep producing and sharing our knowledge, you know, we can mm -hmm. pass, pass around packets of information and keep it all rolling. Yes. And that's why it was so important to me. A lot of people asked if I could just do an ebook and I, I may, but I, it's a paper format book where it can actually get the information out there. Anybody can take that away from you once you have it in your hands and then it can, you can that you love that, you know, needs a little help and then they can learn how to feed their rabbits and it can just be passed on and passed on where any book can disappear. You know, I want something that no matter what happens, no matter what world you have that book on your shelf to feed your rabbits in times where you can't rely on a feed store anymore. So that's I'm really going for a paperback or a hardback format, you know, something that are coming out in the future. That way it's something somebody always has. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Are you thinking about um, legacy and like building, you know, your property for your kids? What are, what are ways oh, that we yeah. think about that, that works for, works for them? Yes, we, our whole focus here is not necessarily on what we can build for the right now, but what we can build for the future. Of one son, he's our little baby, but we want to always have this as a place to call home and to always have food available for him. So we have really been focusing on not only identifying the plants around us, but 
producing different plants that will provide food, like planting peach trees and pecan trees and different like mulberry comfrey animals. So being able to plant those perennial items and stuff that he will always be able to rely on to feed animals and feed himself, no matter what world we want to build up this homestead so it is always self-sustainable not just while we're here mm. are there other um animals that you plan on uh, integrating into your system we're our next big animal we want is pigs and after that mm. we hope to get ducks we're going to put in a pond on our property stock with fish and when we do that we'll get ducks but pigs take a lot of resources so we're really having to build up the food that our homestead produces and not bring in any more animals that i have to buy feed for so as soon as i can get my chickens off feed and onto food that we produce on our homestead then we will be done with the feed store and every animal on out will have to be foraged or grown food diet so pigs are the next animal we're working to get to that point but i really have to build up the food resources for them here on the property before we can get oh that's super cool i mean i know what i'm always looking for is like a formula like how much forage you know is needed or how much um square footage or acreage of a certain plant yeah. is needed um uh, it, but but it is so it is so um, calculable, like you can definitely design it into your property when you're thinking about the kind of perennials that you want to grow and, um, and, and how much, how many animals you want, you know, you can definitely oh, yeah. predetermine and, and, and design it out. Does, is your book or your, I know you're uh, with the rabbits. Are you kind of laying that out? Like how much square footage of a certain so rabbits don't take up much space on the homestead. They don't take up much space to house. And because they eat the weeds and the extra stuff, they don't take up much space to feed either. A lot of things are high protein that rabbits need. And so you can really get a lot of food from a small space. I tell people you need about two large handfuls of weeds or grasses and stuff per rabbit per day. Which sounds like a lot, but you can pick that fairly quickly from a patch of wheat or a patch of grass. And so depending on how many rabbits you have, you can really scale that up or scale that down. And then depending on what trees, trees grow up. So if you can layer your homestead going up, you can trees from up top and weeds from the bottom and then grow mm. berry bushes raspberry and blueberries and blackberries along you know your fence line well you can eat the berries and feed the rabbit and the spent canes and stuff on them that's very nutritious for them so rabbits do a lot of and we do a lot of layering we only have about an acre and a half of our 16 and a half acres cleared right now and i've still been able to sustain 30 rabbits on an acre and a half. So it, you could really do a lot with a lot. You sound like someone who's been homesteading for years and years and years. <laughs> Just, that's so cool. And I, of... not, I'm very new, but I'm the type of person when I decide to do something, I jump in with both feet first. Like I'm going out for a career.